What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Ones Ready Team Room. This is time number three for us trying to actually get together and have no delay and have some good content for y'all. So don't ever hit me in the comments and say that we're not giving you a high quality product. Believe me, we're trying and trying is half the battle. So I want to welcome JD and Zach from the Special Warfare Candidate course. We've had Zach on before where we talked about a pre-accession workout program. If you're on the Discord, if you're hitting us up in the DMs, you already know about this thing, but we're going to get the subject matter experts, the guys that came up with it, or at least part of the team that came up with it, to talk all the way through it. So Zach, JD, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. I can hear you. I can see you this time. It's amazing. Look at that. Technology actually does work. Zach, we've had you on before, as I mentioned earlier, but just give us a quick background as to uh, where you're from. And then as an aside, just tell me how happy you are that Rutgers is actually in the Big Ten. Hey, I'm pretty happy. I, uh, before uh, showing up to Special Warfare in 2020, I was the uh, assistant director for strength conditioning at Rutgers. Uh, we were in that transition of going from into the Big Ten. Uh, man, there was a lot of changes that was occurring. So I'm happy for them. Looks like football programs doing well, basketball programs doing well. So yeah, good for them. Right. Well, you get some of that Big Ten money. Don't worry. You just clip into Michigan and Ohio State. I'm an Ohio State guy, so we'll we'll carry you through, big baby. There you go. So you got more fans showing up. So JD, welcome. Thanks for coming on, and uh, you know, thanks for for showing up for the first time here. Just kind of tell everybody same thing, kind of where you came from and, and what's your background. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I spent um, 10 years in the Air Force before I started working in strength and conditioning. Um, I was a security forces. I deployed a bunch of times, uh, worked at a nuclear base, worked at a training base. So I got a lot of experience on that side. But um, I completed my bachelor's degree while I was in. I used tuition assistance, uh, which was great. Got a free bachelor's degree. Um, transitioned uh, in 2014. Uh, started grad, grad school at Texas Christian University, TCU, Go Frogs. Um, so I worked with uh, the kinesiology department as a research and teaching assistant, um, strength and conditioning, uh, intern with football, baseball primarily, but I helped with all the teams being an intern, um, took out a bunch of trash and all that stuff too. So that was great. Um, after that, I transitioned to the NSCA, the national strength and conditioning association as a professional intern. Um, while I was there, I also volunteered with the air force Academy and Olympic training center. So I got a ton of experience in that seven months. Um, in that process, um, I got picked up to work with the Army to stand at the Holistic Health and Fitness Program, or H2F. Um, so I was one of the four initial strength and conditioning coaches that worked with the command to try to get that program rolling. Um, after four years of that, I was at Fort Drum and Fort Bliss. Um, if anybody's been to Fort Drum or Fort Bliss, very unique challenges at each location. Um, I wasn't used to all that snow at Drum. but um, And then I got the opportunity to come here Special Warfare in 2020. Um, so I've been here, or excuse me, 2021. So I've been here for two and a half years now. Um, I'm actually working the research flight, but I work with the coaches like Zach, the dietitians, um, everyone on the human performance side to integrate uh, more seamlessly um, with the, uh, the active duty cadre to make sure that we can meet our demands and, and produce as many um, three levels as we can out the door. So Awesome. So the, the thing I like about this training plan, and we've been talking about it now for months, you know, when we had the whole team on, um, basically what you guys did is you looked and you found a problem. And that problem was way back even before people get into basic training. Like you looked and you were like, how can we set the groundwork? How can we lay the skills that we need for people to be successful? So it's not just preparing for the IFT. It's not just showing up to your development sessions. You came up with an entire program that gets before, you know, gets ahead of the issues before basic training. So just to kind of flesh those issues out, because we get questions on them all the time. 
What are some some common issues that you're seeing when you intake students out of BMT and into SWIC? So stuff that we've talked about before is, you know, sometimes it's grip strength or, or upper body strength in order to do pull-ups. Sometimes it's time on feet with lower leg stuff. Zach, I'll open the floor to you. What are some of those common problems that you're seeing with candidates that are that are coming into the SWIC program out of basic training? I would say collectively it's just more time like that was the whole reason for this pre-accession is they just need more time to develop and that's one thing we noticed over the uh the few years we've been doing this um it was more so that if candidates got more time to train they did better right and it's pretty easy to see um so that's was that was the whole intent of the pre-accession was you know what let's give these uh these candidates and trainees a uh a good chance and let's let's work our way back we know what the limitations are at bmt uh we know where they need to be for swick to get ready for ans let's kind of reverse engineer and work backwards and create a product that you know that will build them up um at a uh, adequate rate that will help help prepare that for that for that SWIC gap and that's kind of what we worked on um, obviously, the uh, number one goal is to pass the IFT, and that's what the original, uh, if we were to list this program out in tiers, tier one is to pass the IFT. If you don't pass the IFT, you're not even getting in the SWIC. So our first goal is to accomplish that, and then our tier two is to handle uh, some of the high injury or high risk stuff, which I can pass on to JD here. Um, yeah, so we, we have uh, a bone stress injury. Um, I wouldn't say it's an issue, but it's a high high incidence of bone stress injury in the lower leg and a lot of our can, especially early on in their in their training process. Um, and that goes back to exactly what we talked about, Aaron, like the, the pre-enlistment training. Are they doing the things that are necessary before they show up? Um, so I actually, I do, we're, we're x-raying everyone now as they come into uh, to SWIC to see, you know, their bone quality, get a better better view of their, their body fat um, percentage and all, the, all those important factors. Um, to make sure that we aren't assuming too much risk for someone who didn't show up prepared. Um, so, in, so in order to make sure they were prepared, we, we put this program together. Um, if anybody's looked at it, there's it's not just training conditioning. It's, there's dietitian information in there. There's sleep information in there. Stress management. Um, just a simple explanation of the training process. So, um, but yeah, from 2020 to 2022, 18 percent, uh, almost 19 percent of our injuries of overall were bone stress injuries. Um, so our estimate that we're working through is still kind of rough numbers. Um, students out of training cost us about $5 million over that, that time period. So in order to address that issue and get individuals out of the pipeline, it's a long pipeline. In order to get them out of the pipeline faster, get the beret on, get them to the three level, um, which is the goal of the special warfare training wing, right? Produce three levels. Um, I think this program, if someone follows it, they should have no problem when they show up ramping from their pre-enlistment period through BMT to be able to show up past IFT to be prepared to start SWIC and train to get ready for ANS or, or to transition to TACP or whatever, whatever uh, path that they're going to choose. So. Right. And it's a truism that we talked about, you know, when we were on, you know, Citizen Pod with Dan Holloway and some of these other folks that we've talked to, you know, really high level, like there just is a degradation uh, because of humanity, the way that it is like folks in my generation and, you know, our generation, I'll, I'll say it, I, I'm probably older than you guys. Sorry, uh, whatever, because uh, I'm just old and stupid. But, you know, we were it was just different for us like we are seeing a degradation in bone density you're seeing uh, a slight decline in stuff like free testosterone and some of those other things it's not necessarily a bad thing it's something that you can like plan for and actually come up with a program to counteract and that's exactly what you guys did 
outside of the program, if, if we just want to go all the way back, what are some good day-to-day things that folks can do when they're just barely starting this process? Because we're going to get into the weeds of the actual program, but what folks need to like wrap their head around, this program is meant to take you essentially from zero to hero. The IFT is always the goal, but when people look at this program, if you're a, a moderate to high-level athlete, you're going to look at this program and you're going to go, the volume's not enough, I'm already doing that. It's not, it's not for you, top 5% athlete. This is somebody that's just starting out that's getting ready to go to basic training and eventually get into the aspect war pipeline. So are there other things that folks can do in preparation as simple as, I don't know, standing up when they, when they're at work or starting off with longer walks or what can somebody do that's at the very bottom of the mountain to start this out? Yeah, I'll, I'll grab that one first. Um, so just the same thing we talk about time on feet is so important. I mean, the, um, one of the most simple things they can do is just be active multiple times throughout the day. Right. Like anybody can train for an hour. Um, but if they get up, go on a walk, especially using our program, they start the ruck, the ruck progression. The very beginning part is just going on the walk. Right. So if they, if they can do that, they can do a little bit of training in the, in the, some weights in the afternoon, go for a swim in the evening or whatever they want to do, kind of build up to that. If you start from zero, add one after a couple of weeks, add another one, um, add a couple more days after you do that. Like very slow, very simple progression but if you do, if you're not highly active as an individual you're going to struggle even to participate in our program after about week four um, so just physical activity and making sure that you want to do those things several times a day because when you get here you're going to be training hard several times a day and you're not going to have a choice so you have to get yourself into that mindset um, to be able to meet the demand from the very beginning you're not going to you're not going to show up and have a good day and do well there's too many days here to just get by on a good day every now and then. So you have to build that consistency. I think that's what, what I was trying to get at. You got to build the consistency first. Um, and it is, it is going to be easy, but if you're consistent with the easy things and you can be consistent with a little bit of a challenge, then you can be consistent going hard every now and then, right? So um, I think that's something that people need to wrap their minds around. It is going to be boring, um, but the boring and the monotonous is what's going to get you through the pipeline. And that's what I see. I see all of our data. I see all of our individuals from the beginning to the end. Those who I see at the beginning who are really good at the mundane and just kind of getting, checking the boxes, making sure they get this. Did I eat my food? Did I drink my water? Did I do this? Did I do this? Um, we have great people. We have amazing, this is the best team I've ever worked on as far as subject matter expertise. So if these individuals listen and, and, and uh, kind of follow just the breadcrumbs that we're dropping, I think that they, they will um, be okay as long as they just want to be here as well. So. Yeah. There's so many cliches that were popping into my head. You know, first you have safety, then you have consistency, then you add intensity. That's the basis to any good physical training program, right? Like folks need to focus on safety and then consistency. They need to trust the process. They need to trust the subject matter experts. So it's a lot of things that we have said, but like we were joking, the previous two times that we try to start recording, people don't listen to our back episodes. They just listen to the one that's in front of them now. So I appreciate you echoing those things. We'll start with the warm up here. I think people overlook how important it is to actually have a solid warm up. And I'm terrible at it. Like, I'm the worst at like throwing in some pre workout, walking into the gym, and just, my warm up is just like whatever first set I'm going to do. I just back off like 80% of my opening weight and I just sort of like ease into it. But it's because I'm stupid and I'm old and we're smarter now. We're better. Zach, can you talk us through kind of, you know, that, that beginning warm up and, and what are the principles? of a good warm-up for people that are opening up a workout like what are you, what is your advice for people number one it would be do the warm-up uh, i will tell you from my own personal experience i feel pretty confident in that one but 
going from there, what are some good aspects of an opening warm up for people that are starting this program? I would say if we want to just start general and not even hop into the specifics of the program, but for generalized, the way I look into a warm up is first to uh, increase increase blood flow, increase body temperature, hence why it's called a warm up. I would say that's number one. So that's where you see the old high knees, butt kickers, karaoke, all that standard stuff is just to get you moving, get your blood flow up, get your body temperature up, get you sweating a little bit. From there, I'd move into the second phase, which is, hey, let's get you mobilized or prepared just to kind of expand those tissues a little bit, get them prepped to handle whatever the demands for that workout is. So that might be your, you know, your standard world's greatest stretch, uh, a little bit of mobility work, that sort of thing. And then finally, the last phase I always look into is let's get everything firing all cylinders, get everything activated, which might be some, some plyometrics, some jumps, some sprints, whatever you have planned that day. It could be a variety of things. Um, and that's how I look at it. I break it down into those three phases. Um, and based off of, you know, whatever the workout is, we just kind of modify or tweak that warm up to hit the specificity of, of that workout. Yeah. JD, how important is specificity? Like I, especially if I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing Olympic lifting, I know that I have to work through my shoulders a little bit more. I know I have to work through kind of that, that upper pull. I know if I'm going to do squatting or if I'm going to do anything, you know, pulling, I might have to activate my posterior chain. How important is that specificity in your warm-up? Um, <clears throat> so you have to first determine what you want to be specific to. Um, I'll speak on our program specifically, right, specific about specifics. Um, our program and the, the training process here is very general. So you're going to be doing a lot of varied movements. You're not going to be doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting. You're not going to spend an hour working on a power clean or, or any of those movements, right? You're going to be doing a bunch of different movements to prepare your body to do a bunch of different movements out in the field eventually when, when you're uh, a brain wearer, right? So, um, A, you got to look at what you're being specific to, but in general, so exactly what Zach hit on 100%, the, um, the movement and the incorporation of those plyometrics and, the, and those, uh, those mobility movements um, is our introduction to what is specific to, to what you need here. So if you break down what you see, what we see across the whole pipeline, you're going to be striking the ground with your foot a whole lot. So you have to be really coordinated, right? You got to get your center of mass over your center of balance. Um, you got to have your tissues of your feet. So your bones and your connect tissues, your muscles and all that, they have to be used to that impact. So we have to bring a lot of that every day. Um, we're going to be doing plyometrics several times a week. We're going to be doing them extensive, which means high volume, low intensity. So little hop, skips and jumps, things that Zach talked about. Once the body gets a little more robust, we're going to build those up. Um, a little bit more intensive. Some of the cool stuff you see on Instagram, the guys jumping over hurdles, jumping back and forth. Um, here, we're going to have a little bit of a, a weight in the hand. Or you're going to be wearing a vest while you do some of that just to get used to that impact you're going to get while you're wearing your equipment out in the field, right? Because um, if we're not coordinated without equipment, we can't be coordinated with equipment. So we, we progress that specifically. Um, then everything else, the foundation of this program, um, other than tissue prep, is the cardiovascular component. So we, I know 100% looking at our numbers from the past 11 years, that's people who are less cardiovascularly fit are going are a lot higher risk of injury within the pipeline. Um, couple that with a low training history or a low body size, um, you're going to have a ton of increased risk for injury. So um, the most specific thing you can do in the pipeline is to attend training every day. So we, we prepare the training process and everything that we do to try to get everyone to show up to train every day so they can get through the pipeline as quickly as possible. Understanding there's always going to be certain setbacks. You know, I mean, you may be waiting for a course or whatever, but we try to minimize those days as, as, uh, as frequently as possible. So 
specificity is important, but you have to know what you're being specific to. Um, like we're not going to be wearing kit while we're doing back squats with a barbell. That's not going to make a lot of sense, but you may do back squats and barbell, then go put your kit on and do a conditioning circuit um, because you want to get strong and you want to be conditioned and mobile uh, with that, with that apparatus on your body. So it, it specificity is very important. However, we got to understand what we're, what we're focused on and what the goal is. Um, and that's very important throughout this whole training process. Right. So specifically for, let's say, you know, folks out there, they're just starting this process. They're on week one, they're doing their warm up, and they're getting ready to go for a run. What do you see mistake when people are warming up, getting ready to go for a run? What do you see people do that you're like, you don't need to do that, bro? Like what, what would your advice be to somebody getting ready to go for a run? That sort of thing. Like what makes them most efficient when they're, they're just starting out on their running journey? Because a lot of people do have problem with the run, uh, you know, the run and the swim, you know, for the PJs, um, you know, for the, the swim component. Okay. That's, that's a whole other beast, but the run is kind of everybody's first hurdle because the run's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you look in the program, uh, we use a lot of heart rate prescription. Um, <clears throat> and it's not specifically for the heart rate. I mean, it is. We want to get them in the right zones and all that. It's five zone model, one, two, three, four, five. Um, but most specifically, when people, especially if you haven't run and you're not used to running for 15 minutes at a time, it's going to be hard for run, to run for 15 minutes at a time. So if you understand in there, we have what's built in called a talk test. So how many how many words can you say? Can you say full sentences? Are you unable to speak? Based off of that, you can judge your intensity or how hard it is. Um, keep it very low intensity and just try to get the time. It's, we're we're going to say this so many times, but try to get the time in and try to keep it just manageable as you're reintroducing into running. Do your warm up. Make sure you have a very consistent thorough warm up. We provide those for you because um, if you don't warm up, those first few minutes of running, you're going to feel even harder. So do that warm up. <clears throat> Maybe even walk a lap. Like. Get your body moving and get involved and be present in the training process. I would take off your headphones as you prepare to run here. Um, you're not going to have your headphones in the in the pipeline, right? So how dare you? How dare yeah. you take off my headphones? What are you talking about, my guy? I haven't I haven't worked out without music since 1989. Uh, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's uh, it's different and it's not what we're used to, but that's part of the uncomfortable process. So I do that now when I go out walk my dog and I go for a run. Um, I won't do it all the time because I like my music, especially when running hard, but um, I'll take off my headphones and just kind of be present, listen to my breathing, listen to my, my feet striking the ground. Um, so I think being very slow, being very methodical and just being present within the training process and don't worry about getting it done. Worry about doing what you're doing at the moment. It will get done. Um, and I think that speaks to a lot of the, the, the focus overall, but for running specifically, I know it's a challenge and then... If you're supposed to run fast later in the pipeline or later in the program, run fast. If you're supposed to run slow, run slow. We built the programs for you and see those fluctuations throughout the week. I'm sure you 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 have done this before. All the time you want to go out and you're focused on your three-mile run. So you're just running that same pace over and over and over again. It doesn't really get you better. You have some slow days. You have some fast days. Um, then you have some pacing days. And, like, everything kind of comes together when it needs to come together. So I say just, just trust the process, right? Yeah, exactly. Trust the pro. I don't know how many more times we're going to put these, you know, cliche things in there, but it's not a cliche if it works and it's not a cliche if it's something that you really need to internalize. So Zach, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. We get questions all the time. Hey, I'm, I'm at a plateau, right? Like we're talking specifically about running here, but we hear folks, Hey, I hit a plateau. I can't get any better. What are some ways people can bust through that plateau? Obviously following your program, JD, you kind of hit on it just a second ago where you said, you know, there's going to be fast days. There's going to be pace days. There's going to be race pace days. 
What are some other techniques that people can use? Is it additional strength training? Is it some sort of, you know, magic pill that they're not taking? Like, how can they bust through those plateaus? Well, I think that's where the holistic, the whole, if you look at the holistic program design, that's what the whole point, point of this was, was to make sure the swim complements the run, the run complements the swim, the SNC complements everything, right? And that was the whole goal when we designed this is not to write three separate programs as a, uh, this is the strength program, do the strength program with the swim program, do the swim program with the run program. If, if we look to take a, a holistic view or global view of this program, it's all built off of one intent or goal, which like I said, past IFT gets you prepared for um, SWIC or, or future pipeline. So the run is built into it to, you know, support the swim and the swims built to support the run. And S and C is there to help build that general strength to a, help mitigate injuries. Cause we can't prevent our injuries. All we can do is mitigate and two, to help with some performance. Hey, if I get a little bit stronger, especially in my posterior chain, and that's going to help obviously with my run technique or help correct or fix some of my run technique so I can produce more power. Same with those plyometrics, those simple hops, right, are going to help build that tissue in those tendons. Those tendons are, are more reactive. They're going to produce more force. That's going to help with my running speed as well. So I'd say it's kind of the same thing. It's just the global, if we look at the global view, it's doing it all and doing it efficiently. Yeah, I, I wanted to add to that. Um, one thing I think is overlooked, I don't think I know it's overlooked, especially here and, and when individuals show up. Um, if they're not making progress, are you eating enough food? Um, as we build the volume into the program, we build frequency in the program, so more training per week. Um, what I find is most individuals don't increase their, their food intake um, or they start getting tired and they skimp on meals that they were already eating before. So um, nutrition is, is going to be the one of the keys along with sleep and, and hydration and all those things, right? So there is usually no one thing, but a lot of times here when we start increasing the volume to the towards the end of the program, towards what we're, what we're seeing in SWIC, um, are you eating enough food? That's a, that's a very simple question. Um, it's a very simple answer. The answer is probably no. If you're, if you're not gaining weight, um, you're not eating enough food. Um, if you are gaining weight, we got to look at what that, what that looks like for you, right? Um, but if you're putting on muscle, you're training hard, that's probably a good thing most of the time. Um, of course, speaking in generalities, right? If you, if you're 250, you may, even if you're lean, that's going to, it's going to be a hard time getting through the volume. Oh yeah. Selection favors the small guy. And that is not a joke. Like a lot of big dudes have a lot of, lot of hard problems, but I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Are you eating enough food? That answer is probably no. You know, even back in the day, you know, a lifetime ago when I went through Indoc, I think I lost something like 25 or 30 pounds. And it's a, it's a pain in the butt to try to eat enough food. You feel like you were just forcing food down. It's not a pleasurable thing. You're not enjoying your food. You know, peaches, he all, he talked about, you know, when he was going through, cause he's a smaller stature dude, he would just crush like a whole pizza you know, in, in a sitting at night. And that's like a fourth of that dude's body weight. So the answer is probably no. And, uh, you know, if you think about nutrition, which you guys do a great job of addressing, like I know the memes are out there about, you know, the uncrustables and which team gets to steal them, uh, at which times of day and, and whatever. So shout out to SOT team six and one's not ready. You guys are hilarious. Good, good work. Um, however, Really, that's your physiological and molecular base to everything that you do. You cannot out-train bad nutrition. And if you don't have the ability, and that includes carbs, like you can't be on any sort of exclusionary diet while you're trying to do this thing. Uh, you were 
as we add intensity, and that's not only for the workout program, but for the pipeline, you have to be able to support that at a molecular level and nutrition and hydration are the first two things that you do from that. Uh, and it also, JD, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm not a scientist, but I would say that people uh, that are not doing well in nutrition, they're probably prone to more injury, are they not? 100%. Yeah. If we see, if we see, yeah, if we see body loss, cause I'm doing the, the, the DEXA, right? The x-rays. So I can tell their percentage of muscle mass, percentage of body fat and bone density at the beginning, at the end of SWIC. Um, the individuals who we do have those measurements on, if I see a degradation in muscle mass and body weight, I usually see a degradation in, in bone mass. And then those are the ones that we see ending up on the injury team, um, a couple weeks later. Right. So. Got it. It's almost intuitive, right? You don't eat enough, your body can't produce enough, and then your body starts to kind of break down at a faster rate than we need to. And durability is always the goal here. And at your time as an operator, your time in the Air Force, your time doing whatever, durability is the goal. We want to have a, a combat chassis that is hard to break and that can perform when it needs to. Part of that is doing your regeneration or your cool down stuff. So you have built regeneration days and essentially rest days or active rest days into the program. Zach, can you talk about how important those regeneration days are and the, the regeneration exercises? Yeah, and I think in, just in general, there's a misconception of regeneration days. I think people think as soon as they hear regeneration days, oh, I can just sit on the couch and not do anything. And that's not what we're trying to accomplish in this program. Our, our, our goal is to um, address specific things and keep you moving. So if you're on a regen day and we want to keep you active, but at a lower activity. So that might be your alternate cardio, doing something on a bike, doing something on a rower. Hey, if I struggle swimming, maybe I just need to go put some fins on and go do a fin swim for, you know, 20 minutes just to get used to finning and swimming more in the pool. I mean, that's probably one of the best ways, especially if you plan on going the ANS route. That's what I would recommend early on is just getting more pool time. Uh, but those alternate cardios equipment, that is magical machinery for uh, <clears throat> keeping you going, keeping you healthy and getting some training in. Yeah, the, the Jacob's Ladder and the Stairmaster are it for me. Like if I'm just going to have a regeneration day, man, 30 to 60 minutes on one of those machines, slow pace. All you're trying to do is just get them done. Works magic. That zone two, zone three training. So shout out Taylor Starch. He's a madman. Uh, great, great additions. You know, even if it's just, you know, pulling a sled, just throwing a 45 pound plate on a sled and just, just walking forwards and backwards for a little bit, just enough to keep going really helps keep everything going. Durability is always an issue, right? Um, are there any stretches or, or are there any magic bullets that you guys have, especially when we're talking the, those lower leg injuries, shin splints, those, you know, foot, lower shin, knee sort of issues? Do you guys do anything that you found specifically to be really helpful in those areas? To me, I think uh, a hidden gem that people don't use is long duration isometrics or, or just, you know, and that might be just, you know, everyone knows the old clamshell and pumping out 30 reps on a clamshell, but maybe it's a put, get that band around that clamshell, hold it for one to two minutes and really work on those intrinsic muscles firing to help stabilize that hip. Doing the same thing for that backside shoulder too, from all the swimming and things like that is going to really help with that posture, but it's also going to help build that tissue tolerance and, and really help in the long term. So I would say that's probably a, uh, if you're going to say something right off the bat. I think that's something we're kind of deep diving and looking into, and it seems to be a good, a good tool. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to have a lightning round ice. Yes. No. And when 
JD, I'll start with you. Depends. Um, nice. I love it. Yeah. I lo- yeah. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. Ice is great for recovery, right? If you, if you want to feel good, ice is great. Um, if you're trying to adapt to your training, um, especially strength or power training, ice right afterwards, probably not what you want to do. Um, if you want to do it after a run or, or maybe a ruck, you want to be looking for more aerobic gains. Um, the research shows it's probably beneficial, at least not going to be harmful. Um, you want to do ice in the morning when you first wake up to kind of get your system going and get some of those benefits. Um, looks like it's pretty good as far as what research shows. Um, I do, I've done it before. Take a cold shower, feel really good. Go warm up, go for a walk or a run. Feels great. Um, so I would say it depends. Everything in general, all of our recovery modalities, I'm going to tell you it depends. But we're also building in that education here in the pipeline so you can make that decision um, based off of what you're trying to do at the time. I mean, if you're, if you're just getting ready to, to go hump it every day, like ice as much as you can, you're not going to get any worse. You're probably going to feel a little bit better. So um, it depends. But, it, you know, overall, probably good too. Yeah, I want to piggyback off that too. I would say don't become over-reliant on those those type of recovery tools such as, you know, ice, ice baths, uh Nordic tech boots, that sort of thing, because the same thing, it's a stimulant to the body and that's going to, your body eventually, if you keep using it, it's going to rely on it. So if you just kind of pull that back, especially during this pre-accession phase, teach your body how to recover on its own with and develop those good habits that we talked about with sleep and nutrition. I think that's going to set up a better foundation for you coming into this than relying on some of those extra things. Gotcha. Totally agree. But thank goodness that the Air Force has provided and down at SWIC, we have all of these things. So hot, cold, boots, float tanks, all that other stuff. What are some of the, uh, if people do have access to them and they really want to pamper themselves, when would you throw in sauna or heat training? Sauna, you could do almost any time as far as what the the literature shows and and what I've seen from experience. Um, The uh, only... I really don't know of many um, contraindications or things that explicitly say it's not good for, for adaptation. Heat's going to be pretty good. Um, I would just say, again, don't become reliant and don't always um, think you need to get into sauna before you can go run or anything like that. Um, I would caution using sauna or heat training if you're going to be training multiple days in a row outside, especially here in San Antonio. Um, it's super hot and it's super humid most of the time, so hydration is probably going to beat out that heat um, training or that heat exposure because you're going to be getting here anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. Still 90 to 95 degrees in October down there. What are y'all doing? Yeah. And that's what I wanted to piggyback on as well. If, if I'm a candidate or trainee getting ready for this, this pipeline, I know it's going to be down in San Antonio and I'm in a uh, cold element. I'm originally from Ohio. So uh, if I'm getting ready for the heat down here, I should probably do or expose myself to some of the hotter days in those colder element uh, areas to help prepare for this. Not saying you should run every day at, you know, 12 o'clock or three o'clock when it's blazing heat, but to slowly introduce you to that will probably better prepare you for the heat acclimatization here down in San Antonio. Yep. Yeah. I had it harder than everybody because I had a winter class. So I went through like a winter in dock, but that summer heat is no joke down there. So, you know, I was just down there. I mean, a week ago and it was still 95 degrees. It was just oppressive and you were getting after it. So I'm also an Ohio guy. It was quite a shock to me that first uh, Texas summer. It was, it was not pleasant. 
So I'll say that. What are some other things that people might not think about as they're going down and they're training specifically, you know, maybe it's in San Antonio. The volume is something we always tell people, you know, uh, folks will come to us and they'll say, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm crushing the IFT. And I've been to development sessions where, where guys tell me that they're crushing the IFT. And by about 45 minutes into a smoke session, they're just they're just lit up. And they're like, yeah, I've never actually done all of these things in a row other than the volume, or you can speak to the volume if you want or how to prepare for it. What are some things that people often don't think about and would help their training program as they're going through the pre-accession? I think for our standpoint, everyone thinks about, you know, building the engine. And when we talk about that, like run times, uh, you know, swim times, pull-ups, cows, all that sort of thing, building your max. But we forget about sometimes those little muscles or those support stabilizers, especially your adductors and things like that, that really help stabilize that entire body that get beat up through doing those multiple, those smoke sessions and, and those, you know, going from a run to a swim, that sort of thing. Hip flexors are another one. Um, and I think just focus on building more of that inner sling rather than always that outer sling. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are built into our program, right? So um, we, we're going to talk about it a million times again, right? Do the, do the, the individual basic things, um, do the things in your warm up, the movements to hit your hip flex, your adductors are in there. Um, your shoulder work is in there. Um, and just make sure that I think that one of the biggest things I've seen it, it was, um, one of the, the prior operators, uh, here in the wing, he was saying before he showed up him and his buddy, um, I think maybe I've heard you guys talk about it as well. Um, they would just take turns smoking each other, like on a Friday. They would just smoke each other like, hey, you're in charge today and we're going to smoke each other for 30 minutes or whatever at the end of the training session. We have a little bit of that volume kind of stuff built in the program, but that doesn't um, address the stress of also, you know, not knowing what you're going to do and, and, and being tired and, and being hot and sweaty and covered in sand. You will get into a sand pit at, one, at least one time while you're here, at least one time. Um, so you need to also like train to be uncomfortable without damaging your body too much when you're showing up behind the curve. Um, because you have to do a thing to be good at the thing, right? If you want to be good at swimming, you got to swim. You want to get good at shooting jump shots, you got to go shoot a jump shot. You want to be better at it, you find an expert to teach you how to do it, and then you listen and put in thoughtful practice. So um, I think that's probably one of the things that I see from candidates that's most overlooked is um, they're, they're doing their runs. I can run a mile and a half real good. I can swim 500 meters. I can do my underwaters. I can do this, but they're not showing up prepared um, for what they know is going to come because that's the hard part. It's easy to do, like same thing with football players and, and any other athlete I work with, it's easy for them to do a lot of the stuff in the weight room, but ask them to go out to the conditioning field and do some of the drills that are hard or challenging or make them look foolish. Um, they're not going to want to do that. So you have to be humble and do those little things every day, um, five minutes, ten minutes, and those things add up, those decisions add up over yeah, and I think going to the skill asset of, you know, if we think about the pool, obviously treading water is going to be a big one, right? You need to you need to pass a 500-meter fin, but you need to be a, a treading machine, especially when you get to SWIC to go through and ANS go through all the water con that you're going to go through. So I would say that's another skill that can be developed. And then just getting used to finning, too. You're going to be finning a lot, um, getting used to wearing fins, what it feels like. Um, you know, doing your side stroke all for a long period of time, that's, that's going to help build that into it. And then same thing when you, when you're rucking, getting used to wearing a ruck, right? You, everyone tells me rucking doesn't get any easier. You just, just gets tolerable, right? So getting used to just wearing a ruck, how it feels, what, it, what a good 
feel on a rock feels like and what a bad feel on a rocker feels like and just get used to that. Yep. I've done the baton uh, memorial, uh, the baton death march memorial ruck down in uh, White Sands. I've done that thing like four times. I will tell you through all of the train ups and through the three, uh, three times, I don't want to over, over speak. So three times that I've done it, that's a 26 mile ruck, right? Like it's a, it's a marathon. It has never been fun. It has never gotten easier. You just get used to it sucking and you know where the ruck rubs you. You know how to wear your weight. You just get used to it and you condition yourself to just be okay with it. And then you just do it. So that's really good. The input on swimming too, I want to hit really hard. People talk about swimming all the time. When they hit us up about swimming, they're talking about like specific skill events or, or whatever. You just need to be comfortable going from one spot in the pool to another. That has to be step one because you're going to be in the water moving from step one to step two all the time. So you can be great at mask and snorkel all you want. You can be great at doing underwaters all you want, but you're going to be in the pool going from those events to those events. And if you're an inefficient swimmer, if you're inefficient at finning, that is going to beat down on you. And kind of what we've been talking about for the last five or 10 minutes is really increasing your bandwidth, right? Cardio is king. The more cardiovascularly fit that you are, the less injuries you're going to have, but you're not going to be smoked all the time. The more that you practice these little things that you may feel, you know, just doing a skips or doing wise or doing, you know, these, these little skill events, it's going to take away stress. It's going to take away, you know, your, um, you know, uncomfortable, uh, attitude in the, in the moment. That's going to make everything easier. It's basically building armor for when things get really hard. You've done all of these things before, and it's not as stressful because always what we're worrying about is, you know, you're worried about at the end of, you know, five or six or 10 or 12 long days in a row where you don't have the bandwidth and you're not thinking clearly, your body is starting to break down and all these little things add up. And that's what I love about the pre-accession. You know, the, the plan in general is holistically, you guys are building that armor from day one in order to make them successful at day X when they're finally ready to move on out of SWIC, when they're ready to move on out of ANS, when they're ready to move on actually into the, into the pipelines and then further on when they have their beret. So I just want to make sure that people understand it's the little things that you do early on in the process that build your armor for later. That's how you do it. It's a progressive linear progression all the way through to where when you're ready to go, you're actually ready to go and you have all these things nailed down. Um, speaking about, uh, you know, when you guys get ready to, to graduate students out of SWIC, we know that there's a super secret event that we won't mention, but it's really hard and you guys will, you'll feel good when you get there. Um, when you're ready to graduate students out of SWIC specifically, how do y'all feel when you see somebody that's done the right thing, when your candidates are ready to go and they're ready to leave SWIC, they're crushing their CFT, they're crushing every metric that you've put through. How do you guys feel when you see a candidate that does the right thing? I mean, I always tell people this and it's hard to, to measure it is like, man, when you see people go through that first CFT and most of them pass through it, and they get by or, or they'll, they'll pass the, we'll get a few that will cramp up on that swim on that last 1500 and they'll see how long that test is. And when they take that last test, they're just like, Oh, I got to take a CFT today. Oh, that's, that's might as well be like a recovery day. And it's hard to measure just that, that overall capacity they developed. And I wish we could measure it and really display to, to leadership and other people. Like that's, that's the biggest thing you gain out of SWIC um, rather than just thinking, hey, my run times are going to improve and things like that. You're just like we just talked about your tolerance to just handle stress and work just increases so much. 
Yeah, I I'm gonna speak a little ahead past it because I, I I'm all over the pipeline. Um, so I see them the very first week to do their body composition measurement. I'll see them a couple times throughout SWIC, maybe, and I'll see them at the end to do, do their body composition measurement again. Um, once I see them after ANS, once they get, you know, select, once those who are selected, um, continue on in the training process, they're totally different humans. Um, not just physically, but mentally they're, they're you can tell like they, they're confident, they're ready to go for the next phase. And from that point forward, um, I saw some some guys uh, a couple weeks ago that got back from CCS. They graduated. Um, they're gray wearers. They're, they're back on back on Lackland. Um, from the time I saw them last year until a couple weeks ago, um, just that feeling under, of understanding, like man, we we um, it was a collaborative training process throughout every day that I worked with them, um, seeing them move forward into the next phases and understanding, like they took ownership of this and, and they realized what it is to earn their beret on their own. And we played a small part in that to give them a little bit of education, a little bit of mentorship on the, on the physical side and bridge that gap um, between the, well, I'll, we'll say the, the tactical occupational side and, and just physical preparation. Um, it's, a, it's a great feeling, but it, 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 it pales in comparison, I think, to just seeing them take ownership of the process. Those who take ownership of the process is the, are the ones that I've seen get through and get the beret. So um, we're not going to teach you um, to be a hard worker, we're going to expose and we're going to develop that through just exposure, right? So um, those who take ownership of it and those who, who get through, um, literally, they, they're just changed people. At the end, it's awesome to see. So, And that's where we're trying to get. Usually we end on asking folks for advice for who they'd have, but JD, you crush it. So JD, Zach, thanks for coming on. You guys absolutely killed it. Is there a centralized location other than our Discord or hitting us in the DMs or us getting us out where people can go and download the program? Because I know I just Googled it and it came right up. Yeah, so it's on it's on the Wing website, the, the Special Warfare Training Wing website. Um, it's also on our Research Flight link tree, so I can send you those links if you like and we can, we can post them up. Um, we're, yeah, we're trying to get out there as much as possible because the more that they, they do these programs, I think the better prepared they're going to be and the easier that transition going to be once they get here so yeah we'll provide anything we need we also got it on the uh, ipads for the swix students so then that can spread through the cone network as well because we know the network is very strong cnn baby that cone news network is out there everybody knows we'll get the links out and everything that we do uh go ahead and hit us up in the dms get us over at onesready.com we'll put it on uh, that site as well to make sure it's good so we'll have the link out there for everybody Hit up onesready.com if you need anything for training, like you go to attack league, get your entire training pack ready to go so that you can start getting into this program and, and being successful in the pipeline. Again, from everybody here on the team, JD, Zach, thanks for everything that you do. Pass my love to everybody down at SWIC, including my boy Chase. Chase says uh, he's recovering right now, but that's my dude. He sucks at fantasy football. I'm playing him this week, but uh, I think he's going to smoke me at DJ Moore last night. He put up like 60 points, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, everybody else, we'll see you out there. Make sure to hit us in the DMs if you got any questions. Thanks for listening to this one. Uh, JD, Zach, thanks again. Thanks. See you all next time.